Hello and welcome to this Net Zero Investor Podcast. I'm Monica Woodley. As use of ESG criteria in investment management has grown, it has attracted increasing criticism. Some censure stems from fundamental opposition to the goals of ESG. For example, prompted by pledges by financial services companies to decarbonize their portfolios, the U.S. state of Texas was the first to pass a law stating that governmental entities cannot do business with financial groups that refuse to do business with fossil fuel companies. Since then, 14 other states have followed suit. Other critics believe ESG adoption is destined to become no more than an expensive reporting burden for the private sector. To help us make sense of the ESG backlash and to see if any of it can actually help improve the sustainable investment industry, I'm joined by Noir Alsadi, founder and CEO of Kanada Advisors, an ESG advisory firm. Welcome, Noir. Uh, hello, Monica. Happy to be with you again. First of all, let, let's start with what is this ESG backlash? Uh, how big is it? And how much of this is net zero related? I would describe the ESG backlash as mostly a U.S. political phenomenon. It is designed to slow, block, uh, reverse potentially the ESG, inter- ESG integration in business and investing overall. Unfortunately, to some extent, ESG has become part of the cultural wars in the United States. And the movement, I would say, the anti-ESG movement, the way we talk about it today, probably begun in earnest in in, in 2022 or or about a year and a half or 18 months ago. There there were always groups that are and still are against ESG investing or incorporating, incorporating sustainability in business. But the political dimension of this really grew over the last 18 months or so. And often ESG is described as war capitalism, as a lot of the opponents of ESG you know, like to label ESG investing. But having said that, and speaking about I mean, although I'm focusing on the political side, there are economic roots to this resistance. And that's why you see states like Texas and Oklahoma being at the forefront of pushing against ESG because they do have vested interests in Mm -hmm. slowing down the transition away from fossil fuels. In terms of size, just give you an, an order of uh, magnitude. Just this year, there were 165 NTESG bills that have been introduced in 37 states across the U.S. Now, the majority of those have been rejected, but I believe at least 22 have passed. According to the Conference Board, which is a nonprofit think tank in the U.S., uh, 37% of financial institutions in the U.S. have experienced some type of ESG backlash since the movement uh, started over the last couple of years. As you said, this seems to be most acutely a, a U.S. issue, and we have legislation at the state level, although obviously nothing at, at the, the federal level. But with this being in the U.S., how big of an impact do you think that this will have on the, the wider investment universe? Or how, how much is it having so far? And, and I guess how much of an impact will it, it have in, in the future, particularly if more jurisdictions jump on the anti-ESG bandwagon? Well, I would say, I mean, the U.S. market, the U.S. financial markets have a disproportional uh, exposure in global financial markets. Mm-hmm. If you look at the MSCI Acqui, which is the global index of kind of stock markets or major stock markets around the world, 60% of the MSCI Acqui ties back to uh, the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. If you think about the largest financial institutions in the world, like BlackRock or Vanguard or J.P. Morgan, again, all of them are U.S.-based. I mean, just give you an order and, and a kind of sense of how large these entities are, BlackRock and Vanguard alone hold about $18 trillion in assets. That's around 20% of the 
all the stock market capitalizations around the world. So they own 20% of all stocks that trade around the world. So there is a disproportional impact in terms of what happens in the U.S. in terms of ESG integration and sustainability integration will have an impact around the world. So, I mean, to, to use a, to paraphrase a word, what happens in, in the United States doesn't stay in the United States. And just to speak about the impact and what has happened already, I mean, you can already see the implications of the anti-ESG movement since it has started. I mean, sticking with BlackRock and, and Vanguard, Vanguard has dropped out of the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative. Mm-hmm. BlackRock letters to investors and the Larry Fink letters that were kind of widely read in 2021 referenced, uh, or 2020, they referenced the term ESG and sustainability 32 times. And the last letter, this was referenced only four times. When it comes to uh, ESG resolutions, Vanguard support dropped from 12% to 2% support uh, year mm-hmm. over year between 23 and 2022. And for BlackRock, it declined from 22% to 7%. And I will finally end with um, the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, which has been completely dismantled because of the letters uh, that was sent, the 23 letters that was sent by U.S. attorney generals to the members of the alliance, accusing them of potential collusion, violation of federal and state antitrust laws if they were to continue with that commitment. So there is a back then, there is real impact. And it's not getting worse, but it's it's already, I think, has caused some damage based on just these statistics I shared with you. Mm, yeah, no, that's a, a clear impact. So what do you think that asset managers and, and other institutional investors who are serious about their net zero and ESG commitments, what can they do to navigate this landscape and stay true to their goals? So around 2020, the sustainable investing community was ecstatic. There was a lot of growth and sustainable assets actually COVID and the reaction to COVID and the fact that non-financial risks were highlighted created a big boom in sustainable investing around that year, sustainable investing assets across $35 trillion. And I think that created a sense of complacency. And I think what happened since the NTSG movement started is a reminder that investors can't take the success of sustainable investing and the commitment to net zero for granted. Most importantly, sustainable investors, institutional investors need to continue to highlight and push and explain the reasons for integrating sustainability and ESG into the investment process. And obviously that includes net zero. And really target, I mean, talk about that issue from a sensible risk management point of view and a value creation point of view, and not from a kind of a moral or the right thing to do. I mean, this may happen to be the case, but that shouldn't be the, the focus, in my opinion, Having said that, if you look at the reaction to what happened, just looking at the corporate sector for starters, since this this NDHG rhetoric started, 27% of companies in the United States reduced their communication around ESG, their external communication around ESG were reduced by uh, over a quarter. In 2020, 76% of companies that issued a sustainability report would issue a press release saying that they've done so. This year, it's down to 50%. Hmm. A lot of companies are being very careful by the way they speak uh, around ESG issues. And obviously, that includes financial institutions in the United States. I would say one thing they have to do, these entities, financial institutions and companies alike, they need to engage with the anti-ESG camp. When you look at who at the biggest, biggest opponents of ESG in the US are government officials or people running for office. 
Mm-hmm. But when you ask companies, including financial institutions, to what extent they are engaging with these individuals, only 23% say they are engaging with these individuals. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them maybe just have an ideological opposition, and, and maybe some people believe that you know, engaging with them doesn't help. I don't agree. I do believe, especially if you're dealing with government officials, with elected officials, they are supposed to represent a community, hear voices from multiple stakeholders, and you need to make sure that you make your point of view clear. And I would end up by saying on that question is, if we go back to a podcast, I think we did a couple of episodes ago around policy engagement. I think policy engagement in this context is very important, specifically around, I would say, legacy antitrust a regulation and laws that disallow collusion around, you know, kind of business mainstream business practices. But when it comes to sustainability, which is systematic in nature, you do need to collaborate with other entities. So I think institutional investors need to engage with policymakers to disaggregate antitrust laws, kind of carve out anything related to net zero environmental issues. Mm. Yeah, very good points. I mentioned uh, before that, you know, there are some critics who think that, you know, ESG adoption might just be an expensive reporting burden. And there are other people who very much support the goals of, of, of ESG, but just don't agree with the way that the industry is necessarily implementing it and, and, and think that we can do a, a better job in trying to achieve those goals. So do you think that this this backlash can be an opportunity for the industry to improve communication and standards around net zero and ESG claims and products? Absolutely. I think over the long term, ultimately, the industry is going to walk away stronger. If you, again, I cited the conference board uh, paper that was published actually in August. I encourage listeners to kind of Google for the conference board and the reaction to the the ESG uh, backlash. They mentioned that 63% percent of companies that are targeted by the NTSG movement are increasing their focus on highlighting the linkages between ESG and business and shareholder value. To me, that's critically important because I think what happened around it as this movement continued to grow and flourish and I mean explode actually around 2020 very quickly, I believe some of the participants in this movement kind of mistook ESG investing for some kind of social policy initiative, some progressive policy mm-hmm. initiative, or some kind of charitable enterprise. Ultimately, at the end of the day, integrating ESG into the business process, committing to net zero, managing climate risk is about ensuring better business and investment outcomes. Mm-hmm. This is why ESG is embedded in business practices. This is why people like myself work with a lot of entities to help them better manage their sustainability risk. It is not that we care less about the environmental or the social side, but the goal of improving these metrics and these factors and these levers is ultimately flows for a bigger goal, which is making companies more resilient, more profitable, more financially sustainable. So I think the the NTACB backlash is kind of forcing the community to to understand these linkages better and outline them better. I would say the one one benefit out of NTSG movement is that greenwashing is not as beneficial as it used to be. The cost mm-hmm. of being a greenwasher today is higher. If you're really not committed to ESG to sustainability, then it's not really worth worth your while to fight the NTSG forces. So from that sense it's it's kind of weeding out the pretenders in this space. Yeah, interesting point. Just a, a final question of, of, do you think that this backlash will have longevity? How might it evolve from here? And do you think that this is going to create an investment landscape that's kind of permanently divided between ESG and, and non-ESG? 
I mean, over the long term, every investment is going to have sustainability consideration built into it. There is a term I coined that I call FII, which is full information investing. And this is how I describe ESG. It's about full information investing as opposed to PII or partial information investing, which is investing without sustainability information. And I can guarantee you over the long term, no investor is interested in, man- in having their portfolio managed with partial information. Everybody wants access to full information. And if sustainability sustainability integration and sustainable data and sustainability factors ultimately leads to better investment returns, the NTSG movement have no hope of stopping this integration. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I mean, there are a lot of zombie topics that continue to kind of walk around in the political landscape. And I don't see this issue going away from that standpoint. And I mean, at least until the US presidential election in 2024. And if the Republicans win, I think this is going to give the NTSG movement a boost. But even if uh, the Democrats win, I don't think this issue will fully go away. At the end of the day, there there are special interest groups and non-sustainable entities that stand to gain from watering down the sustainability agenda. And they will continue to try to push, although I, I doubt that they will win the battle over the long term. But it's, uh, it's a reality we probably have to contend with for some time to come. Yeah. Thank you, Noir. Some good advice in there for investors and companies in terms of focusing on the risk mitigation and value creation benefits of ESG and also on the need for collaboration in the face of systemic risk. Thank you. Thank you, Marika. Pleasure being with you.